And the time to start, if you're not living your dream, is right now. Start setting goals and setting out where you set in the course of your life and setting it all up so that you get somewhere in the future. When all that comes together, something happens called fulfillment. If you are not experiencing awesomeness in every aspect of your life, it's just from an internal block or barrier disconnect that you've chosen to take on. Life is as easy or as hard as we want to make it. And I got my hands and my eyeballs and my heart around any information I could around holistic healing. And that led me down a never-ending rabbit hole of which I'm still spelunking into the depths of. I needed something like ayahuasca to really wake me up because I was very rigid and very stuck in my ways and very structured and controlling. And my first ayahuasca ceremony cracked my ego in a billion pieces. And uh, that's when I believe when you when we really follow our deepest truth, when we really follow our soul, when we really follow our true calling, the universe rises to support us moment to moment to moment. Welcome to the Holistic Health and Human Potential Podcast. I am your host, Ronnie Landis. I'm an international speaker, author of multiple books, an integrative nutritionist, a transformation and embodiment coach, and simply a man who has devoted most of my life to the study, application, and integration of human potential. And it is my biggest inspiration to bring you weekly episodes that will expand your mind, challenge your paradigm, deepen your heart, and help you to embody the greatest version of yourself as I believe you are meant to do something incredible with your life and this podcast exists simply to support you on that journey. Welcome to another episode of the Holistic Human Optimization Podcast. I'm your host, Ronnie Landis. We have a truly amazing interview lined up for you today. And before we dive headfirst into it, I wanted to share a quick offer from one of our sponsors. If you're looking for the highest quality superfoods, natural supplements, and lifestyle upgrade products, I want to recommend you take a look at Purium Health Products. They produce some of the world's best superfood products by maintaining total control of the sourcing process through producing a majority of their products on their own farms and using their patented live dehydration process, which helps to maintain total nutritional integrity. Some of my favorite products I use daily are the Super Amino 23 Protein Replacement Amino Acid Product, the Love Super Meal, which is a live, organic, vegan meal replacement formula. The Apothecary product, which is an organic, GMO-free cherry concentrate that helps increase natural melatonin levels and aids in REM sleep. And also, their revolutionary first-ever anti-GMO product, the Biomedic which has been shown in preclinical studies to safely remove up to 74% of the GMO insecticide glyphosate from the human body in around six weeks of using the product on a daily basis. And that is just the tip of the iceberg with what this company offers. I encourage you to visit their website, www.ishoppurium.com, and use my coupon code HUMANPOTENTIAL all spelled in one word, to receive a $50 coupon on your first order and up to 25% on reoccurring orders after that. Again, the website is www.ishoppurium.com and use the coupon code HUMANPOTENTIAL. Let's dive into episode 132 with Dr. Ernesto Gutierrez, on the science and advancements of stem cell therapy. What an incredible interview, what an incredible conversation, and what an incredible synchronicity that brought me and Dr. Gutierrez together. He is the director of a stem cell clinic in Mexico, and just incredible work he's doing. He's worked with so many extremely well-known people, people that you would know of um, at a moment's notice, and it's interesting, him and me bumped into each other at the Bulletproof conference a little while ago. And we it was an interesting synchronicity because I had heard about him, not by name, but my friend, my friend David Wolf actually did a stem cell therapy with him, his mother, and 
and um, a number of other people a while back and we got into a conversation and I realized that it was him that David went to see and then it sparked up this incredible dialogue and um, you know we, we just decided to dive into this ever since. So this was an absolute fantastic conversation. You're really going to learn everything you need to know about stem cell therapies, embryonic stem cells, adult stem cells, um, you know, different administration methods, what you need to know prior to um, going to get stem cell treatment, what are the benefits, what's the research, what do we know for sure about it. And we even go deeper into the aging process. Absolutely fantastic. You're going to enjoy this, you know, tremendously. So get ready and enjoy this conversation between me and Dr. Gutierrez. Greetings, everyone. We have a special guest, Dr. Ernesto Gutierrez, here to talk to us about the amazing world of stem cells and stem cell therapy. And this is the very first episode that I've been able to bring on a specialist that does incredible work in this field and really do a great education for us on the world of stem cells because this is a huge area that I've been kind of in and out in my own studies and research. And I'm just really excited to really dive into this with Dr. Gutierrez. So welcome to the show. Hi, Ronnie. Thanks. Glad to be here. Yeah, you know, it was great to meet you a little while back at the Bulletproof conference. And then to find out that you and your clinic was the facility that hosted um, our mutual friend David Wolf and some of our, our um, fun superheroes that went over there to do some stem cell therapies. And I know that he was talking a lot about it. Um, recently in a lot of his lectures and just personal conversations. So it was really exciting to get to meet you and to dive in a little bit into your world. So that's what I'm excited to do with you right now. Yeah, absolutely. We've been we've been very fortunate to uh, treat a lot of uh, a lot of people. Some of them uh, very well known, like David. Uh, he was originally treated in one of our group's uh, previous facilities in Guadalajara, and most recently here in Cancun with us. And uh, yeah, he's he's very excited about it. He's done it several times. Yeah, I mean, he shared an incredible story. I'm sure you've heard it probably a number of times about his mom, who um, I don't know what the, the case was, but she had some physical immobilities. And literally after getting the stem cell treatment, she's like spry as a child, you know, jumping around, you know, jumping on Hulk Hogan's back at a dinner or something, you know, just like an amazing, um, amazing story of a recovery and, and a youthening story, regaining the lost mobility of youth. And that's something that really hit me is like, as we go through the aging sequence and, and um, whatever particular programs around chronological aging and what that's supposed to mean. And, and um, we lose that mobility, we lose that youthful energy. That is a huge issue. And it's very near and dear to my heart. And so when I heard that story, I got really excited. I started thinking about the possibilities and, um, you know, so I, I think what I want to do is before I dive into the content of this with you, I want to understand what led you into stem cell therapy research. Like what uh, I know you're um, a medical doctor and I know that you've gone through your own education in that field. So I'm always curious, like what caused somebody like you to start getting into stem cells? Well, it really, it's something that almost happened. And uh, I mean, I was always very interested in, in anti-aging and age management in general. And, um, you know, when I went to school, I graduated in 2006. This field simply didn't exist. I mean, there were already some researchers doing doing some phenomenal work. But if you asked any of the people that I trained with, any of my of the the doctors that I went to school with, they would have said that we're not even ready here, that that doesn't exist, it's nowhere near, and, and, and so on and so forth. So when I graduated, I wanted to be a funny thing, I wanted to be a pediatric surgeon. And I went into pediatrics and I started learning about it. One of my very first rotations was uh, was the 
through the through the uh, neonatology, so the newborns. And I started seeing how it was the very first couple of collections for court blood, and uh, and back then they weren't collecting the court itself; it was just the court blood. Um, and, and, and that started be, becoming interesting to me. And then a couple of months later, I realized that really that, that field wasn't for me. I didn't have the patience to, to work with, uh, with the pediatric population, mostly with the parents. Um, so I switched fields and I started doing some research, or some, more than research, I started doing some work in uh, age management and anti-aging, um, first through a master's degree here in, 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 in Mexico. So it's a, a non resident uh, specialty where there's a lot of cosmetic field involved and although I liked it that really wasn't my my calling so then I, I continued you know just looking for more education on on that side in terms of anti-aging uh, and we were talking mostly you know hormone replacement therapies uh, lifestyle modification uh, the importance of exercise the importance of good adequate nutrition uh, you know, toxic avoidance, all these different things, which we which we now are very well aware of. It's amazing how you know, ten years ago, it really was not out there at all. So, so I started training on that, and then I, I came back to Mexico here in Cancun, in particular, and through some mutual friends, I got involved with uh, with the clinic, and I started diving in. You know very, very deeply into regenerative medicine and stem cell therapy. And I've been very fortunate to to have met some some phenomenal uh, pioneers in this field. I've trained at the, the uh, Metabolic Medical Institute, at the A4M. Uh, I was most recently in, in, in Murcia. They're doing some great research in Spain. Um, and, and that's really how, how this this entire journey has has been for me. So a lot of a lot of hands on. I've been very fortunate to have a lot of very um, very giving, very sharing mentors who have been very open about what they were doing, very very willing to share and to expand uh, their knowledge. And that's pretty much how I've uh, I've been collecting uh, experience throughout these years. Yeah, and I'm I'm really curious. You know, you talked about. Um, hormone replacement therapies, obviously, um, you know, proper nutrition, lifestyle modifications, all these kind of things that we we mostly know about, and a lot of us um, at different times may take for granted. But I'm curious, what are some of the kind of breakthroughs that you witnessed? Um, I guess in contrast to stem cells, um, maybe not opposed or maybe in combination, but maybe the distinctions from coming from that anti-aging world of hormone replacement therapy and all the other things, what really got your attention with the stem cell treatments? Well, when you are in in one of these purely anti-aging and there's there's a lot of them in 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 the u.s and in mexico and europe now anti-aging clinic where the main focus is hormone replacement it's a huge deal because people who aren't feeling very well suddenly get a dose of 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 certain hormones and they start they 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 get in treatment and they, they do start feeling phenomenally well but i always saw that one particular piece of it which was really the central piece of it when you look at most of these anti-aging clinics, age management clinics, really their business model is to sell hormone replacement. They add that you know nutritional component, they add that lifestyle component because people don't want to just hear, okay, just take this pill and you're done. But really their business model isn't the recurrence of selling uh, this this hormone. And and for me, that was no better than 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 regular pharmaceutical approach as to okay so it's it's the band-aid medicine of we're treating the symptoms but we're not doing anything for the underlying cause like really looking under the hood to figure out why is this person not producing the hormones that he or she should be producing why is it slowing down and what can i do to promote production from his or her own body instead of giving him or her exogenous uh, hormones. And really, that was that was the big contrast because although we started seeing a lot of phenomenal improvements, and I'm sure you've heard a lot of them, and it's been life-changing for a lot of people. I'm not gonna I'm, I'm not gonna lie about that. Um, I always I always saw it almost like like I said, like band-aid medicine that you know, just treating the symptom and, and then you become 
almost captive to having to get these hormone replacements. So, so that was the one thing that really uh, is, in, is in contrast to what we're doing in, in, in regenerative medicine, where we're really trying to force and promote repair from, it, from the own body. Yeah, I know that's an incredible point, and I love what you just said: regenerative medicine opposed to "quote unquote" anti-aging. I just want to I just want to touch on that for just a moment. This we have a lot of memes and a lot of like um, I guess descriptives in our in our world, and it it creates it creates an interpretation, right? So like the word anti-aging doesn't really make sense, right? Because the aging process <laughs> is going to happen, but I think the key is. Not just slowing it down, but how to regenerate our endogenous hormones, our endogenous faculties for healing so we can, we can live a healthy and, and fulfilled life without all these aches and pains and breakdowns. And I love the point you made about um, you know, the typical hormone replacement therapies where you're taking an exogenous hormone, injecting that into a person so they feel better temporarily, but it's not necessarily focused on... Um, regenerating or boosting their endogenous supply of healing factors. And that's what I really love um, about this particular method, um, which we're going to dive into. We're going to really go deep into what stem cells are for everyone listening. Um, in fact, I want to kind of just segue into that since we're, we're already, we're already flowing right into it. Um, you know, so for everyone listening, who may know a little or may know nothing at all about stem cells and the unique treatments for readministering their own stem cells back into their body. What are stem cells exactly? And, um, and also, what are some of the most powerful healing effects of stem cell treatments that you've seen? Yeah, well, stem cells are our body's own repair mechanism. So when we are all conceived we are born from literally one cell. And this one cell eventually becomes different kinds of cells and forms a whole human being. This is, this is a process called differentiation, um, which is basically just a technical word for, for specializing. So these cells start becoming specialized. Now, a stem cell have these two qualities. One is that they can self-replicate. So you get one cell and it can become two, four, eight, 16, and so on and so forth, and, and just increase their numbers. But they can also differentiate or specialize into specific uh, tissues. And one example that I always give to, to medical students that I, that I teach or to even parents of some of the patients that we treat or patients themselves is that this is almost like children when they go to school. So when they're little and they go to elementary school, all of them go to the same classes. Eventually, as they start learning and developing certain tastes in, in, in the case of children, they start specializing. So maybe in high school, they will go to different concentrations and then, you know, they'll go to biology and social science and, and, and so on and so forth. And then they'll start specializing even further. The people in biology, some of them might become a vet, another one might become, uh, you know, a dentist, a doctor, so on and so forth. And even within those specialties, they can become more and more specialized so that children who went to school together can end up a couple of years later being as distinct in a career as, as a physician and, you know, a politician or a lawyer or, or, you know, anyone else. And it's the same thing with our cells. As they start maturing based on different stimuli that they receive from neighboring cells and from, from the development mechanisms, they start becoming specific tissues. So they will go down into musculoskeletal and some of those will become cartilage, some of those will become bones, some of those will become tendons and muscles and ligaments. And then you have the other ones that go into the gut and some of those will become intestines, some of those will become stomach and some of those will become some other things. And and, and really, that's that's what happens in the beginning. But... Every person has to have stem cells throughout their life. That is how we repair our tissues and our cells from just basically from everyday wear and tear. If you want to be, if you want to super simplify this, um, so if you fall down and you scrape a knee, you need stem cells to come and repair and become new new skin cells. And you, you know, you break a bone and the same thing happens. You you are exposed to certain toxic uh, chemicals that you inhale or 
people who smoke. Then you need stem cells to actually recognize the damage into your lungs and come in and try to repair. That is why you can smoke for so many years without really developing any you know, debilitating disease because your stem cells are, are, are repairing constantly the damage. But it gets to a point where as we get older and we're exposed to, to new toxic stimuli and, and we're surrounded by all these things, even if you're super careful, you're surrounded by, by all these different, you know, toxic environments and in the diet and in what we're eating, what we're breathing and all these things suddenly it becomes too much and then our own body isn't producing as many stem cells as it should so the damage is more than can be repaired what we do with stem cell therapy or really what's done with stem cell therapy is harvesting these stem cells from a patient's own body and you can get them you can get them from fat you can get them from bone marrow you can get them even from peripheral blood and, and certain other sources and then concentrating them and returning them in a concentrated manner into a specific injured area or site. That's that's stem cell therapy. But we all have stem cells that are currently repairing our, our, our own tissues. And that's what's important to understand. Okay, that's great. And I I know there's a there's a difference between embryonic stem cells and adult stem cells. Can we touch on that? Yeah, absolutely. So embryonic stem cells, they are so the the big there's 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 different um, there's different things to touch up on here. One is you need an embryo to grab these stem cells from. Most of the time, these are uh, you know abortions, as people think. What happens is that if people go to a fertility clinic, they will get uh, they will fertilize a lot of embryos and they will so that they have a larger supply. They will try to implant a few, and if they don't stick, they have, they have an extra batch. However, if, it, if they do stick on the first try, now they have a bunch of leftover embryos that they would discard. So people who are actually using embryonic stem cells, they're getting them from these embryos. These are what's called totipotent stem cells, which means that they can, they can specialize into literally any tissue of the body. So in theory, in paper, they are more powerful than adult stem cells. The problem is that so far in, in what I believe and what a lot of researchers uh, in the field believe is that we're not ready to be using them for, for commercial therapeutic applications just yet because we also don't know how to really control them, don't know how, how to really make them do what we want them to do and not do something else. And those are the cases that they might develop certain tumors, which I'm not saying necessarily cancer, just just tumors and, 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 and certain weird growths and things like that. But they're, in theory, in paper, a bit more powerful. Those are not the kind of cells that we use at any of our clinics because they're, they're not allowed. They're, they're banned here in Mexico and they're banned in the U.S. Uh, we don't employ any of those. We use adult stem cells. Now, the funny thing is these are called adult based on their biological maturity. So it's not based on the age of the person. A newborn baby, the ones, the cells that are harvested from the cord and from the cord blood, they're already adult stem cells. Okay, interesting. So I'm thinking about me. For example, I've been a high-performance athlete most of my life. I've had many, many injuries. I've had multiple surgeries, and I've gone through a lot of rehabilitation. I'm 32 now, and... For the most part, I can still perform at a pretty high level, comparatively speaking, not exactly the level I did when I was 20, 21, but I still have a lot of, a lot of uh, when I'm in training, I still can perform pretty high. But I also noticed that um, a lot of it is made, a lot of my recovery is maintained and allowed because of my diet and my lifestyle, but I am also aware of certain aches and pains, certain... Um, faculties, if you will, that aren't as speedily recovering as they were when I was 21 or 22, and I was pretty much on a complete junk food diet. Um, and I'm just curious, does that, does that mean, well, actually, my question is, if I were to, let's say, take the 20-year-old version of me and go to see you at your clinic and, and do this procedure versus the 32-year-old version of me now, would there have been a dramatically more beneficial effect that I would have received at 20 than at 32? 
Absolutely. And, and not so much the benefit that you would have gotten at that time from a treatment, because if you get stem cell treatment in your 20s and you're at that, at that level of, of performance, you wouldn't notice much of a difference. You would feel pretty much the same. Uh, as compared to getting them in your mid, late 30s, even later, 40, 50, because then you really start noticing a difference. However, what would, be, what would have been much better is the quality of your stem cells and the concentration of your stem cells at age 21 compared to age 32. And, and the reason is simple. The second, the, the, the stem cells that you get at age 32 have been exposed to everything that is in our toxic environment for another 11 years. Right. So, so they, have been, they have been susceptible throughout these 11 years to develop newer mutations. Uh, you know, there's different changes in terms of, of certain concentration of substances and, and, and organelles and, and their, their, their ability to absorb uh, certain nutrients and their ability to produce and synthesize certain proteins. So that's why we always advocate um, for, for banking early on. And, and the funny thing is last July I was in Murcia, like I said earlier, and, and these guys are doing some phenomenal research over there in, in Spain. And one of the doctors was saying that if we are to live longer and if we're to live anywhere close to, you know, that, that, that utopian dream of living forever, it's going to be our grandchildren's cells that are really going to allow us to do that. Not our, not our own. Because they're going to be healthier, younger, and more resilient cells than the ones that we get. The longer we the, the, the longer we spend on this earth, the less resilient our cells will be, despite the fact that we're eating a, a good diet. That's that's good. They're gonna be a lot better if you're if you're taking good care of yourself than if you're not. That is that is without a question. However, they will still be a lot better when you're just born. Than after you spent uh, you know a couple of decades on on on, on this planet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And one of the things you said, I wanted to I wanted to clarify. So, for example, somebody that is on the the um, longevity path, they can, in theory or maybe in practice, they can actually bank the stem cells of their of the generation below them or, or their grandchildren's generation in their genetic line, right? Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, well, I mean, it doesn't have to be in their genetic line. Um, it can be it can be in somebody else's. It doesn't matter. That's what you can use donors. So a lot of people, uh, when they're having a baby, they can you know they we we collect uh, the cord and, and the blood and uh, and they donate that so that so that it can be used for therapeutic purposes and it can be used for anyone. It doesn't matter the genetic code. And and it's actually really really interesting that you touch upon that because not a lot of people notice this a lot of people are concerned with the fact of rejection because you're bringing in somebody else's cells and and rejection is dealt with very easily the placenta is a wonderful organ and what it does is it it, it sort of strips away all these surface markers of the cells so that the blood can be in touch with the mother's own blood and not reject each other that's why we use cord blood so that comes straight from the placenta before it gets to the baby and you use that and, and these cells they're, they're virtually impossible to be rejected by another person. That's why they're very commonly used uh, for, for stem cell therapy. However, they do have a different genetic code than that of the person that is going to be receiving them. Mm, okay. Yeah, that, that's a great distinction. That was definitely something that I wasn't clear on. So it's not the same as like doing a kidney transplant or something or obviously like a blood transfusion where there is very real kind of implications if you get the wrong blood type or, or there's a reaction. Exactly, exactly. So if you're, if you're going to get somebody else's kidney, per se, and you're both adults, that kidney, for instance, my kidney, would have surface markers. And you can think of surface markers in a cell almost like a little signpost that says, I belong to Ernesto, for instance. And if you grab a kidney full of those cells and you put it in Ronnie, your immune system is going to get there and it's going to see this little, this little signpost that says, I belong to somebody else, and it's going to attack it. That is why recipients of transplants have to be immunosuppressed so that their immune system 
doesn't automatically attack this organ right away and gives it time to sort of mature and start developing some of its own surface markers that 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 it will that it will actually accept. That doesn't happen with stem cells that are from a uh, donor that was harvested at that stage. Now, if you're harvesting your stem cells at age five, and you, even if you get them from bone marrow, you get them from, from, from anything else, they're not as easy. They cannot be as easily used. That's why it's so difficult to find a bone marrow, uh, a bone marrow donor in a lot of cases because they need to be a match. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, that makes perfect sense. I'm really glad that we, we touched on that. And I, so I'm curious, for me and for everyone listening, Let's say that I were to go down to the clinic, which I totally plan to, as we talked about. <laughs> um, and what would that look like? You know, when I come into the door and I talk to you, what would that look like for me to receive a, a treatment? Yeah. Well, even even before that, um, given the nature of our clinic, we don't really take uh, walk-ins. So we do have a, an evaluation process before. Uh, stem cell therapy is relatively new, and a lot of people aren't very familiar with it. So we're very interested in making sure that the people who are coming down for treatment know what to expect. Pretty much what you just asked me. So, so we do, we do, we have an evaluation process, and this whole evaluation process, which we call a health audit, is is a completely free process. So, uh, potential patients or, or people who are interested fill out a uh, an intake form. Uh, our medical team reviews it. Then we get in touch with them. We have a virtual consultation via phone, via Skype, uh, via FaceTime, whatever is easier for them. And, and we go over the potential benefits that they might get. Uh, we also ask them, what are they trying to achieve? Sometimes we have people who read somewhere that they can get X or Y result. We've had people ask us if we can grow back a limb that they lost in an accident or if we can grow back teeth. or if we, and, and we're not there yet. So we have to be very open with them and say, okay, that's, that's an expectation that we might not be getting. People like you who are interested in, you know what, I want to improve my recovery time. I want to basically, I'm just going to go ahead and say, you probably want to do this because you want to keep kicking ass. Yeah. Throughout, you know, for the next 20 or 30 years or even longer than that. So in, in cases like that, we might go over your specific uh, history. We might want to review some of the fractures, some of the injuries that you've had uh, and, and, and start seeing where you could be able to get a potential improvement in these different areas. The, the beauty about stem cells is that once we have them, and this is one of the very big reasons as to why we're doing this treatment outside of the U.S., is that here we can expand them, which means that in our lab, we can grab those cells, whether they come from you or they come from a donor, and we can increase their numbers. So we can, we can, we can put these cells in an incubator and, and, and exponentially increase their numbers so that you're going to get a huge dose. And we can go specifically, let's say you have an old knee injury, so we can go directly into the knee, and we can do an IV for whole systemic inflammation, and we can go specifically into muscle that is giving you uh, some issues. So we really tailor all of our treatments, uh, and the thing is, we're using your own repair mechanism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and how, do you, how do you typically um, extract the stem cells to, I imagine you centrifuge it, and then you re-administer it back into the body? Uh, it's it's quite a it's quite a bit more complex than that. Okay. Uh, that is that is the process that they're doing in the U.S. right now, okay. and the reason they're doing that process in the U.S. right now is because it's the only thing, it's the only way that they can actually sort of harvest stem cells while staying within some of the loopholes that they found in the FDA's regulations. So so basically, if they harvest the stem cells from the bone marrow, from the fat, or from whatever they're going to do it, and, and throw them in a centrifuge right next on the bedside, then they can separate some of these cells, and then they can grab them back and put them right back in. And and that's sort of still is a gray area with, with the FDA. I mean, if you ask anyone in the FDA, they say that's not a gray area. It's very clear they should be doing this. Um, but but it still is. Nobody nobody has yet come out and said you cannot do this. Um, 
And that's why it's become popular because people think that's the way you do it. And that's the way you do it if you have your hands tied. Here, the advantage that we have is if we, if you wanted to use your own cells as opposed to using a donor, which we can also do, uh, we have a huge bank um, that, that, that we can draw upon, is that we prefer to use bone marrow. And the reason we prefer to use bone marrow over fat is one, the recovery process is a lot easier with the bone marrow aspirate than with a microliposuction. Um, two, the quality of the cells is much better because when you're doing a mi microliposuction, you're breaking a lot of the cells. There's a lot of friction. So a lot of these cells that come in and that are counted because when you put them in a machine, the machine counts the cells, but it doesn't really – it doesn't have the ability to tell you if they're viable or not. But when you look at them under a microscope, you can see that they're not really viable. So the number of viable cells is a lot more consistent with bone marrow. And even if it wasn't, we have the ability to put them in an incubator for a couple of weeks so that we can grow your cells uh, – we can grow huge numbers. But if you're just going to be here for four or five days, we're going to grab those cells. We're going to separate them through a, through a host of different processes in our lab that takes about 45 minutes to an hour. And, uh, and we're going to create different infusions for you that, that you might get over one or two days um, of treatment. And it's mostly IV. Everyone gets an IV. And the reason you get an IV is because once you have the stem cells circulating in high enough amounts, they will find stuff to fix. They will find inflammatory markers circulating around your blood and they will find, you know, they will stop in your lungs and, and help there. They will help re repair your gut. They will help improve your motility. They will help, you know, regulate your immune system. So this sort of reboots your immune system. Um, and and that's, that's usually something very, very positive. A lot of people start feeling great right away from, from that alone. Yeah, and my understanding is that the, the stem cells in our bone marrow are possibly the most neotenized or the most um, youthful, which would, which would, in theory, make us more neotenized or more youthful, which is when we had the most vitality in, in our lifespan. Yes, and, and there's, there's one great protective factor uh, that occurs in the bone marrow. Very rarely does anything go into the bone marrow. Cells produced in the bone marrow are ejected into the, into, into the bloodstream where they differentiate and become other things. But they're not really exposed to, to the toxins and everything that might be circulating in our, in our bloodstream at a given time. So if we're eating, if, if we have a diet that is, that is below optimal, that's why, that's why, for instance, what you were saying right now. You were in your 20s and your diet was full of junk food, yet you were recovering very well. It's because the cells inside your bone marrow weren't really being hit by all this crap. Your gut was, you know, your, your muscles, everything else was, but you still had stem cells that were a lot more youthful. Mm. Yeah, that makes that's, that's the beauty of it. That's incredible. That makes perfect sense. This is incredibly informative. I'm learning a lot as we go. And um, the direction that I want to I want to kind of pivot into now is around um, neurodegenerative conditions because this has been a big um, theme in my work and especially looking at the demyelination of the nervous system and the neurological system and the reduction of gray matter in the brain um, as one goes through the aging cycle, especially if they're hit with so many toxins and all the things that we're aware of. Um, so I've looked at a lot of different um, nutraceutical, nutritional, and lifestyle ways of rebooting the neurological system. So I'm really curious about um, the stem cell treatments for these types of conditions, whether they be Alzheimer's, um, it might be an autism, uh, even something like cerebral palsy, MS, Parkinson's, and any other condition that we can kind of um, – we can kind of think of like I'd love to open that that bit of a rabbit hole. Yeah, that's that's actually a super interesting rabbit hole, one that we spend a lot of our time in. Um, I think I brought this up uh, when when you and I met over at the Bulletproof Conference. We have a clinic that that treats exclusively patients with autism and cerebral palsy. That's that's all we deal with at that clinic. So we've developed a, a, a proprietary method and then protocol uh, to address these patients. And, and it's funny that that you're so, well, not funny, but it's interesting that you're so well-versed in this area because most of these conditions actually have a lot in common. 
Um, the central nervous system is, is protected by something called the blood-brain barrier. And the blood-brain barrier is basically there to prevent stuff that, is, that isn't ideal, uh, that is circulating in our bloodstream, to actually reach the central nervous system and harm it. Think about larger larger things, so bacteria and things like that. It, it prevents them from crossing. Now, the problem is that it also prevents larger cells from crossing, such as stem cells. That is why when, when we have an injury and, and you, know, you fall down, you break a bone, it heals. If you have any injury that involves the central nervous system, it doesn't really heal. It rarely, I mean, it may improve a little bit, and but it but it doesn't really heal because the amount of stem cells that are inside the the, the central nervous system uh, is is very very small. As a matter of fact, just a couple of years ago, we realized and we really understood, and, and, and a, a group of researchers saw that there actually were some stem cells inside the central nervous system, but there's certainly not enough. So. When when we're dealing with patients that have neurodegenerative conditions or or, or autism or cerebral palsy, which is is more traumatic um, from from a single exposure or from from a specific insult, we can through a lumbar puncture deposit some of these stem cells into the the, the cerebrospinal fluid, and the cerebrospinal fluid for, for for the people listening, so you can picture it, it's it's a it's a collection of liquid that surrounds the brain, the brainstem, and and the spine. So in order to keep it afloat and to sort of give it some some sustenance. And, and and so that your brain isn't really banging against your skull all the time. So it'll, it'll help it keep it afloat and it'll help protect it. But it also circles. It circulates all around. So it bathes the brain. And when we deposit the stem cells into that cerebrospinal fluid, they will reach different areas of the central nervous system. And that's when they can actually start their, their repair stimuli. Mm, that's really amazing. I, I imagine that that brings a lot of hope to people, especially people that have gone to the doctors. They've done naturopathic. They've done every. They've literally done virtually every type of thing, and yet they can't really get a handle on the issue because it's underneath the surface. Exactly. Exactly. And, and then the problem again. You'd be surprised how many patients we've treated, um, and with varying with varying degrees of of, of 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 success. I have to be I have to be very honest with you. So I, I don't want people to think that this is this is absolutely miraculous. Um, most of the time, the people that you hear from are either the ones that had the miraculous results or the ones that didn't have the results that they expected. So people believe that either stem cells are miraculous or they're a complete scam. And really, the majority of patients fall in the middle. So when you have a patient with multiple sclerosis, and, and this, is, this is a condition, as, as, as you well know, that is, that is progressive. So it's, it has an autoimmune component. Uh, the patient's own immune system is attacking the myelin-producing cells in the central nervous system so that they're losing the myelin. And by losing the myelin, the transmission of the electrical impulses in the nerves isn't as effective and efficient as it should be. The problem is that this condition keeps progressing. So in patients with multiple sclerosis, our number one goal is not to cure them. It's important to understand that stem cells don't cure anything. They, will, they help heal they will help repair, but you have to do them in conjunction with healthier lifestyles. Stem cell therapy is not something you do instead of everything else. It's something that you must do in conjunction with. So you don't do stem cells in order to be able to eat whatever you want and never exercise again. You do stem cells so that the results that you're getting from a clean diet and an adequate lifestyle uh, regimen are better. So going back to the patient with multiple sclerosis, the thing that we try to achieve is I don't want this to keep getting worse. If we can stop it right here and it not getting worse, that will be a success for us at this point. Hopefully, we'll get to a point where we can start trying to, to reverse some of the damage. And, and that's in stark contrast with, with the typical uh, best option which we currently have in, 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 the, in Western medicine, which is people go to the neurologist, they get prescribed a drug, and they say, okay, I'll see you again in six months and see how much function you've lost. 
they're not aiming for them to get better. They just want to see, they just want to make sure that you don't lose a lot of function. And really our goal is let's try to keep you at where you're at. Or if, if there is progress, let's make it a lot slower without the side effects of all these medications. Because people, a lot of the times, they can't fully function with medications that, that affect the central nervous system because they have effects over other areas of the brain. So this is so fascinating. There's there's a number of things coming up. One of the things that, um, on a personal note, that I just thought of is like, <clears throat> you know, what my reason for doing a therapy like this, and, and especially ongoing um, through the years. I mean, I see just immense value in it. But one of the the desires that I would have is not just the the physical recovery and the muscular recovery. Obviously, that's a, that's kind of a side benefit. My my intense athletic days are a little behind me but you never know i might i might do so i might do something like this and get that spark back so mm-hmm. you know you never know but i was just thinking as we're talking about um the myelin sheath and um the in these these neurological type of conditions that can be progressive and can really affect all of us whether it's in very subtle ways or more overt ways I'm thinking about the possibility of being able to increase learning potential and, and really regenerate or increase the faculties of our mental acuity, our mental power through um, the possibility of regenerating the neurological system. That's a really, really good question. Uh, we've seen we've seen considerable improvements in cognition. Um, as a matter of fact, that's one of the big components uh, that we that we see improvement in in patients who come in for specific longevity treatments. And and the reason, once you understand why this starts happening, is that the longer you're exposed to certain of these different uh, these different uh, environmental toxins and, and different factors, despite the fact that you try to take care of your diet and all these things, or people who are transitioning to a healthier lifestyle is that they have been, you know, hitting their immune system. So the immune system responds and gets stronger by releasing certain pro-inflammatory uh, cytokines and, and, and substances into the bloodstream, right? So we, we fall into a state of chronic inflammation. Now, these pro-inflammatory cytokines do cross the blood-brain barrier. Once they cross the blood-brain barrier, they trigger an immune and slightly inflammatory response in the brain. And that obviously affects the formation of new uh, neural connections. Funny thing is there's, there's, a, there's a phenomenal research paper that a couple of, uh, that a group of uh, Japanese researchers, if I'm not mistaken, uh, put together in 2006, where they started looking at patients with autism and they wanted to compare them with neurotypical children. So they wanted to see, okay, so what's different? If we look at these kids in several different ways, what's different? One of the things that they did find out is that patients with autism have a much higher circulating uh, amount of a pro-inflammatory substance called tumor necrosis factor and uh, interferon gamma especially and compared to neurotypical children. You know who else, which other population has high numbers of interferon gamma? Older patients with dementia. Mm. This is something that we see in, patients, in older patients with dementia. And as a matter of fact, you'll see that many of them, and I'm not advocating this in any, in any way, many of them who actually end up taking an anti-inflammatory drug for X or Y reason, they feel or they notice a cognitive improvement. And the reason that cognitive improvement comes is because you suppress even temporarily some of the effects of these pro-inflammatory cytokines, so your neurons can fire adequately, and 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 and, and you're more you're you're sharper right there. Now, what we achieve with stem cell therapy, and this is a very important point that it's that is important that people get. And I know I mean your audience is. You know, there are very uh, there are people who really learn about these things and who do their homework, so they will be able to understand. It's not the stem cells that that really do the repairing. And that's what's very important for us to understand. What the stem cells that you inject, exogenous stem cells, and this is this is true whether they are your own stem cells or somebody else's stem cells. If you if you administer them exogenously, what they do and what they really bring to the table is that they will release 
a huge host of cytokines and pro and anti-inflammatory uh, molecules and substances, and they will promote that the tissues in your body regenerate themselves. So even if you're bringing in somebody else's cells, they will release these different cytokines, which will in turn rebalance and reboot the immune system. That's why we can use this for patients who have autoimmune disorders, because we can sort of reboot the immune system up to a certain level. And it's not permanent or anything like that, but it will bring it down so that patients with lupus have less flare-ups. Patients with rheumatoid arthritis can move their joints a little bit better. Patients with multiple sclerosis uh, decrease the, 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 the rate of deterioration. So it, it's almost like a, like a, like a two-hit approach. You on the IV side, level and rebalance the immune response. And by administering stem cells intrathecally, you help repair and regenerate some of these myelin-producing cells inside the central nervous system. So, it's, so it helps in both ways, and that's why you get a cognitive improvement. And most of the time, that is one of the very first benefits that older people start experiencing. And when they start thinking better, they feel better. They're more active. They're more energetic. And they jump in Hulk on his back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's amazing. That's a, great, that's a great point. You know, I'm thinking about um, what that just kind of revealed to me is that the exogenous stem cells are – are largely helping the the regenerative process that's a natural phenomena in our body it's it's helping our body do what it is wanting to do whereas if you take something like um, proteolytic enzymes for example there is that aspect but largely the enzymes are cleaving up protein deposits inflammatory um, scar tissue and and anything like that calcification remnants in the body. It's, it's helping to break down um, sedimentary material um, or obstructions, but it's not necessarily kicking on um, certain intrinsic factors in the body. Yes, exactly. So that's that's the difference between a a responsive approach where we have a problem and we try to to to, to respond and and and. A, a prospective or, 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 or trying to anticipate all these damages or trying to even repair it ourselves uh, as we do with, uh, with, uh, with stem cell therapy. Um, because, like you very well said, really the side effects, and that's a great benefit. People, people are scared, and the FDA, for instance, says that, well, there's not, there's not enough long-term studies. How do we know something isn't happening? The truth is, you know, you're just releasing your own inflammatory factors, and you're stimulating your own cells. Basically, it's just like having a coach in there telling them where they need to go and how they need to go and pushing them harder, as opposed to hiring somebody to temporarily come in and fix the problem, and then, you know, they leave a mess back there. So it's it's a completely different approach. It's a completely new way of looking at medicine, and I'm not dissing uh, the pharmaceutical uh, side of it. I think that pharmaceuticals have a very important play. It is when you need something fixed right away. They're phenomenal, um, and, and I think that was their initial purpose. But for mid- to long-term use, uh, they really shouldn't be the solution. Yeah, I mean, that, that I think all of us in the in this field are pretty clear on on the imbalance, and it's probably like an eighty twenty kind of thing, like you just mentioned. Like twenty percent of it is really like diagnostically amazing, surgically absolutely incredible, but that's like twenty percent, if not less, than what's being what's going on there, and it feels like. Um, I don't want to put you or your work on the spot, but just like stem cell therapies and other relative. Um, types of treatment that are progressively beneficial long term should probably be that 80 percent. Well, we, we, we try to think that regenerative medicine has the potential to be that 80 percent. We're still far from that. And, and one of the big challenges that we have is, is to start getting other other healthcare professionals on board. Uh, doctors are very scared to start start looking into this, uh, partly because, like I said, they have their hands tied by the FDA. They don't want to get in trouble. And also partially because 
you know, ever since they were being trained, like I said to you earlier, when I went to school, all the doctors that said that, yeah, 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 that doesn't exist. There, there, there needs to be research. But the funny thing is you bring in some of these papers and they will always find something against it. Oh, that was only seven patients. Oh, they are not following them for 15 years. Oh, they're not. And, you know, it's it's a struggle. It's a fight. It's, it's, uh, it's something that we have to keep doing and it will eventually get there. Um, but the problem, and one of the things that they're not understanding, is a lot of a lot of these patients that we are treating or that we're providing treatment for are patients that don't have fifteen or twenty years to sit around and wait uh, for us to finally say, "Oh yeah, I think you can you can give this a shot. It's it's safe enough." These are people who the people that we treat most of the time are people who like to take their health in their own hands, who've been to several doctors, and who aren't simply aren't satisfied with this is the best we have. These are people who say, you know what, there's got to be something different. I'm going to look it up. And if you're not going to be here to support me, we're going to look for answers. And and don't get me wrong. It's not like, you know, this is this is something, you know, we're, we're heroes or anything like that. I would love to be able to get more physicians because on board because this is the only field in medicine, if you think about it, where we're really sharing what we're seeing. And because most of the companies are, are privately owned – Sure, we're publishing a little bit, but we're not really sharing everything that we're doing, contrary to if somebody develops a new surgical procedure. What is this person going to do? Well, it's going to start sharing with other doctors, and other doctors might start trying it, and they're going to start adding to that. They're going to say, you know what? I started getting a couple of patients with this, and these are the results that I got from from, from that approach. Maybe we can fix it this way, and it started getting better and better. But in regenerative medicine, there's really not a lot of collaboration between clinics who are currently doing clinical. There's a lot of collaboration on the preclinical uh, side. So research institutes. Uh, but like I said, there's a lot of patients walking the earth right now who cannot wait for the preclinical, uh, blah, 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 especially when we've already established that it is safe for them to try the treatment. Worst case scenario, it's not going to work. And that's it. And I feel like the irony is so many of the quote-unquote treatments out there are verifiably not safe but are kind of being <laughs> packaged by what I call scientism and, and just kind of the, the, standard, the standard approach um, towards medicine and, and other modalities. Um, a lot of those are very, are very well documented to have um, adverse effects, to put it lightly. Um, whereas something like this, as you mentioned, we, it's already, it's already known to be safe. So why not, why not move forward? And you know what, the point that you made too, about, um, about the, the cross pollination and the collaboration, that's why I do this podcast. And that's why I'm so excited to bring on incredible innovators and researchers such as yourself to bring this message and bring this opportunity to people that, um, are looking for that opportunity because I really believe people that are listening to this are very much like me. You know, we will do our due diligence, we'll do our homework, but we're not going to wait around for 10 years to, to get the FDA or whoever to sign off on it um, as a quote-unquote safe or approved approach. Like if, if there are results to be had and it is safe and there's an opportunity to, um, I guess you could say, even experiment – um, with something that's proven to be safe and effective, then that's something I want to make available to everyone who listens to this. Yeah, exactly, exactly. No, we we, we agree, and, and part of the reason why we exist is, is exactly that. Uh, obviously, we're we're very interested in 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 continuing, you know, the research and developing more therapeutic techniques. I'm convinced that that the people who go to medical school in 15 or 20 years from now, they're going to look back at the late 1990s, early 2000s, and they're going to say, you were doing what, people? Because as soon as, as soon as we really start going, we really start getting people on board with regenerative medicine, I think, I think that the possibilities are endless, and but we need to start collaborating. We need to start getting input from other people so that we can 
make it better. There's only so much I can think about and there's only so much that the rest of my team can think about in order to improve something. But if we start bringing external collaboration and, and people who are who are doing this in different areas uh, and patients, I, I always talk to our patients like that. And I say, listen, you know, you guys are really the, the, the stem cell pioneers. It's not us. A couple of years from now, you guys are going to be the one remembered that as, as, as the guys who said, sure, you know what, this does sound well, this does sound good, and 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 I'll give it a shot. And you're the ones getting the benefits right now, um, because it's it's just as important. We could have some great ideas, we could have some phenomenal technology, but if if, if people weren't feeling empowered enough to make this decision, um, it it really simply wouldn't be happening. Yeah, that's a great point, and and it's the people that are going to go down to the to the clinics and, and get these treatments and get the results. And then those are going to be the people that actually become the biggest microphone holders of, of this particular type of movement. Yes, that, that, has, that has been the case so far. Uh, we're very fortunate to be doing this in an age where the Internet allows us to reach patients directly, as, as, as we spoke about the other day. Uh, a big part of the focus of what I do here at the clinic at this point um, is not on the, so much on the clinical side. It's more on the on the advocacy and educational side. So I, I attend a lot of patient gatherings. I'm very fortunate to be invited to speak at different, uh, different patient gatherings, uh, different even scientific gatherings now uh, with a lot of physicians. In order to bring hope to these people that there might be something that that can be done, and sure enough, there's we cannot treat everything, but but there's a lot of things that we can improve, and there's a lot of different degrees of improvement. And uh, you know, when I started talking to a couple of these doctors, and and they would say like, well, you did you, you treated this patient with multiple sclerosis, but she still has multiple sclerosis. And I say, sure, but now she has bladder control. Do you think she's happy? <laughs> right. I mean, uh, but they're but they're looking at it from a different, completely different perspective. Like like if if we had a drug which was curing multiple sclerosis, then I would say, you know what? Yes, yes, we didn't achieve what what we could have achieved with the drug. But if but if we're already achieving better results, despite the fact that we're not getting there uh, to to full curing anyone, like I said, stem cells aren't aim do not aim to cure but to improve and to heal. Uh, then it's a difficult uh, conversation to have. Thankfully, we're able to reach a lot more people via podcasts like like this one right here. Uh, you know, uh, health advocates like yourself, like David Wolf, like so many other people that are that are doing some phenomenal work and empowering uh, patients. And um, I think I think it's a steep climb, but I think we've got what it takes to 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 keep going with it. Absolutely, one hundred percent, and it's really inspiring. And just on a final final note to what you just mentioned i think it's really really important because um you know in that example you gave of of physicians looking at this and being like well you know you didn't really cure it it's like because you're not it doesn't seem like you're looking through the model of black and white like oh it either cured it or not it's like no this is about the quality of somebody's life this isn't about um you know labeling them with this condition and and if we cured it then they're all then that's the only end goal it's like no this is about helping people live at a higher quality of life even if maybe they still do have some challenges it's a lot less than they had before yeah exactly exactly people something that i've heard, that i've learned over these these last 7 years that i've been that i've been here uh, people don't care at all about the label that they've been giving. So they don't care about the label that says, uh, you know, diabetic. They don't care about the label that says uh, obese. They don't care about the label that says, uh, you know, depressed or, or Lyme's disease or anything like that. They couldn't care less if the diagnosis was still there. But if they can feel better, if they can go back even partially to their normal everyday activities, they're like, sure, call me whatever you want. And if I do the test and I still, you know, turn out positive for Lyme's, but I'm feeling great, I don't care. And, and really, that's that's what we're aiming for. I don't. I'm not here to remove labels. I'm here to improve people's quality of life. Wow, that's that's a great quote right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really amazing. I'm I'm so grateful that you made the time to come on and do this deep dive. I learned so much, and um, I'm definitely going to go and l- listen back to this for my own education. Definitely recommend everyone else listening do that. But more so, I want to. Um, 
know the information that people can um, go to your website, they can fill out an application that they feel called to, and um, your clinic is in Cancun, right? Yes, but all of our patient evaluations are done remotely, like you said. So uh, people are like, well, do I have to hop in a plane and go down there for you to evaluate me? No, but uh, a lot of people do because it's a great place to be, especially now that winter's coming. <laughs> yeah, it's just a good adjunct to your vacation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. So what what is that website for everybody? Uh, it's advancedbiomedicine.co, so C-O, um, and our, our, our social media handle and like Instagram and Twitter and Facebook is ABM, so Advanced Biomedicine, ABM Cell Therapy. And I'll send you all the, all the links and we're, we're going to do something as well. I, I want to put, put something together for, for your listeners uh, as some sort of a, an additional learning uh, component. And I'll, I'll make sure to send you that link so you can share it with them uh, so that they can take notes of, 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 of this call and maybe a video or something else that we have uh, that we already have in file. Oh, that would be awesome. We'll include that into the show notes when this episode airs and I, uh... I'm just really grateful and appreciative of uh, just what you're doing. It's um, I'm excited to lock arms with you and do all that I can to share this message because this message is what people need at this time. Yes, absolutely. I'm very grateful that uh, that you also uh, wanted to invite us because, like I said, my main goal right now is to continue just raising awareness and letting people know that there might be hope for them, for somebody they know. Uh, there, there are alternatives, and we need as, as many people as we can to simply listen to this and help us spread the word. That's that's all we need at this time. And if anybody wants to come down here and then they think that we can help them improve their quality of life, we'll be forever grateful uh, that, we, that we're giving that opportunity. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Mine too. I hope you enjoyed this fascinating episode of the Holistic Health and Human Potential show. Before you head off, I want to invite you to go to my website for further podcast episodes and tons of free content on holistic health, natural nutrition, and human potential. Please go to www.ronnylandis.net to find out how to take your health and your life to the next level. And also, I want to encourage you to leave a five-star review for this podcast on our iTunes page, which will help me in my mission to get these inspiring messages to millions of people throughout the world. I thank you so much for your support, and I look forward to continuing to provide amazing conversations and content on holistic health and human potential.